When was the last time you sat down and read a sonnet? Many of us love a good poem, but it's also true that books of poetry rarely make any of the top bestseller lists, and yet poetry has more to do with our lives of faith than we often care to admit. I've always loved poetry, and I, you know, there was a time when I, when I lost my faith and a time when I gained it again. Mm-hmm. And when I gained it again as an undergraduate in, in Cambridge, suddenly poetry came alive to me again in a new way. That was poet and pastor Malcolm Guyton. And I have to say, I'm quite excited to have him join me on today's episode of the Great Stories podcast. He's a Cambridge scholar, he's a Christian theologian, but he's more well known for his poetry, many of which mirror his own journey from darkness to divine illumination. In this episode, you'll hear us delve into how the poetry of Scripture, as well as the poetry inspired by Scripture, helps us experience Jesus and engage God's Word in profound new ways. I know you'll be blessed by what follows, so let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to Haven Today, and we're coming from Regent College, and I've been wanting to do what we get to do today for a very long time. I'm with a former chaplain at a college at Cambridge. He is a poet, I mean a real poet, but more than that, he loves Jesus. Malcolm Guy, welcome to Haven Today. Well, thank you, Charles. It's very good to be to be here and uh, have a bit of time with you. And um, hello to your many listeners. Well, I wanted to have you on, not because I understand the richness of poetry in the same way you do, but I've been hearing you speak for the last several years. I wander through my wife's study, and there Malcolm Guide is on in the background, especially during <laughs> COVID. But you have this part of your life, maybe it's you grew up in Africa, part of your life in Africa, uh, and you went to Cambridge yourself, uh, you taught at Cambridge, but you've got this ability to look at poetry and look at the scriptures at the same time mm. and say, aha, this yeah. is pointing to Jesus. Absolutely. Uh, so so where do we start? Do you want to start with a passage of Scripture, like the Lord's Prayer or something? Do you want to start well, with a, a, can, a let, poem? Let, yeah, let me, uh, well, maybe I can, if we're going to start with a, a passage of Scripture, I mean, for me, one of the most astonishing passages in all of Scripture, and it is, this has got to be a passage that would appeal to a poet anyway, okay. is the beginning of John's Gospel, right? So well, hopefully in, all of us. Yeah, well, indeed. To, but yeah, yes. the whole of John's uh-huh. gospel. John is a poet's gospel, if ever there was one. But you say the so-called prologue to to John's gospel, but really this prologue isn't just a chapter one. It's under everything in John. Yes. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was, and it's wonderful idea that in God Himself, in the mind of God, is this this logos, this word, this this utterance, and of course. When John writes in the beginning, he's deliberately quoting Genesis, of course. Yes. In the beginning, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, how did God do that? Listen to the beginning of Genesis. Fantastic. Let there be light. And there was light. You know, let the firmament arise. Let these God speaks cosmos into being. Now, in our own tiny little way, in a very derivative, sub-creationalist, Tolkien would say way, Mm -hmm. we, who are all made in the image of God, but the poets particularly, we get, in our own little way, to 
summon words, to speak a word, to say things out, and they're summoned and they appear and they appear in the minds of our readers mm. and something beautiful happens mm. to them. That's only a tiny little echo of what God is doing all the time. And God's word is better than a poem because God's word is a person. Everything about who God is, the very heart of the love of heaven, comes to us as a person. Now, I'll tell you a thing that I... I've always loved poetry, and I, you know, there was a time when I, when I lost my faith and a time when I gained it again. Mm-hmm. And when I gained it again as an undergraduate in, in Cambridge, suddenly poetry came alive to me again in a new way. And there's a description of how poetry works by Shakespeare. So if you're going to figure out what poetry is like, don't mess around with middle Go management. to Shakespeare. Go to Shakespeare. Okay. So Shakespeare has a famous passage in A Midsummer Night's Dream about what poetry is. And I always used to think it's just about poetry. But just listen to this. This is a bit of Shakespeare okay. for you. This is all downhill and from let here. Let me tell our listeners. Yeah. Everything you're hearing from Malcolm is off the top of his yeah. head. <laughs> right. He yeah. has this amazing yeah. memory. Please. So, okay. Go ahead. So here's Shakespeare in A Midsummer Night's Dream describing how a poet does their job, right? It goes like this. The poet's eye in a fine frenzy rolling, doth glance from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven. And as imagination bodies forth the form of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes and gives to airy nothing a local habitation and a name. Mm. It's great. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, well done, Shakespeare. That's great. That's it, isn't it? Like you often thought something. It was this little flimsy. You think it was. Was it up in heaven? Was it on earth? I just saw it. I can't remember what it was. And then the poet, the imagination of the poet, gives that thing a body and a form and a shape and a known thing, and you can read it again and again, and you can go back there and find it. Imagination bodies forth the form of things unknown. The poet doesn't just talk about what's here on earth and you can see the visible. He talks about the invisible, the, the glimmerings. He woos them into comprehension. So I thought, okay, this is a good account of poetry. It was only when I went back to it, when I came to write a book called Faith, Hope and Poetry, and I was a fully believing, you know, Trinitarian Christian by then, and I was <laughs> trying to see how literature and poetry sometimes opens up to us some of the riches of Scripture, just as the riches of Scripture open up poetry. And I was rereading this passage of Shakespeare, or re-remembering it, I thought, what does this remind me of? This thing, there's earth, heaven, heaven, earth, imagination, bodying forth. I suddenly thought, we've well, got this idea of the heavenly, the discarnate, the, 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 the abstract, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, you can only apprehend it, you can't quite comprehend it. Mm-hmm. That's the heavenly. You've got the earthly. It's body, it's substance, it's local, it's named. You know what it is, right? The poet is going between heaven and earth, heaven and earth, wooing the heavenly into the earthly. What's the key word in that sentence? It's bodies. Imagination bodies forth. Imagination doesn't stay flimsy, whimsy and airy, fairy. Mm, mm. It creates a, a thing you can really see and touch. And I thought, what does this remind me of? And I suddenly thought, wait a minute. I see what you're doing there, William. <laughs> you are riffing on John's gospel. Think about it. Wow. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word yes, was with yes, God, and the Word yes. was God. That's all in the heavenly. I'm sure it's beautiful. I'm sure it's brilliant. Like, it's Greek philosophy. It's fantastic. Right. But those first three or four verses, I can't see it. I don't know what that's about. I know it's important and beautiful, but, it, like, I, I can't get hold of it. And then John 1, 14. And the Word was made flesh. flesh 
and dwelt among us, mm. and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw it. And what is the first question that the disciples ask Jesus in John? They go, Master, where are you saying? Magister, ubi habitas, where is your habitation? Mm. And I suddenly thought, wait a minute. All of heaven, all the ab we could never have got a hold of. God loves us so much that he turns it into the poem, which is his imagination bodies forth. The love of God is given a body and more than that, a local habitation and a name mm. and comes into our world and is the poetic embodied. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I thought Shakespeare is... He knows how what it is to take these beautiful ideas and clothe them in flesh so real people are acting in front of you. But this is more than acting. This is God mm -hmm. himself mm -hmm. made flesh. And then I thought, maybe that's why we want to write poetry. We're made in the image of God. We don't get to do it as well as he is. He does it from nothing. We inherit language. We inherit ideas. But there's something in here or up there that needs to be bodied forth so people can really meet it and encounter it. And that's why I like poetry that communicates and is lucid and clear and that you can get hold of. Of course, it's got mystery, yes, it's sure, area, sure. but it's available. I, I resist poetry and art that flies back into the abstract, you know? What do you mean by that? Well, let me tell you, uh, let me quote another poem. This okay, is about, okay, okay, that's, that's so why is, we're having is, you this on is, today. This is, um, yes. is a Scottish mystical poet called Edwin Muir. And I mean, maybe this is... A, so he he became, he was brought up as a Christian, then he lost his faith, and he came back to it rather like I did. Mm -hmm. he, he died in the 50s, right? This is a poem from his last book called One Fit in, Foot in Eden. It's called The Incarnate One. Mm. And it has a memory of bad church as a kid, mm. right? Boy, have we all been there. Okay. Yes. So this is what he says about bad church. He says, the word made flesh is here made words again. <laughs> the word made word in flourish and arrogant crook. See there King Calvin with his iron pen and God, three angry letters in a book. For here the mystery is impaled and bent into an ideological argument. <laughs> There's better gospel in man's natural tongue. You know? Wow. That's wow. what I mean by abstracting away. Okay. God shows us that when he wants to communicate with us, he becomes one of us. He clothes himself in our flesh. He doesn't cease to be God. He's still full of more mystery and beauty and meaning than we could ever have, sure. have space for. But he doesn't say, hey, you've got to aspire and do all this and climb the mountain and purify yourself. You'll get a little glimpse. He says, okay, let the sages do that. But you've got a job to do. You're doing work like I did work with my dad, the carpenter. I'm going to come to you in your way, in your form as a human being, I'm still going to give you all of heaven, but I'm going to make it accessible to you by bodying it forth in the person that you can know and love of Jesus. Of Jesus now, Christ. In a little way, in a small way, not just poets, but artists generally, if they're doing the job, take this beautiful abstract stuff and they body it forth. So get back to that, that Shakespeare. So the poet's eye and fine frenzy rolling doth glance from. As imagination bodies forth, incarnates, mm -hmm. the form of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes, gives to airy nothing, a local habitation and a name, a habitation. You know, if there's some song you really love, 
or some picture, some work of art that always gets to you. It's so mm -hmm. classic, you keep going back to it. Mm -hmm. You go back, is it where you open the doors and open the windows of that little house of that work of art? You go back into it. Have you noticed how it's always a bit bigger? It's always a bit fresher. Mm -hmm. More thoughts, more mm -hmm. ideas, more insights are meeting you every time you go in there. It's not a solid block or an idol, it's a local habitation. It's the same with poetry like it is in scripture. You, exactly. know, you, you, you read a text, and every time you Absolutely. return to the text by the work of the Spirit, yeah. you're going to bring more exactly so. out of it. And, and, and you don't want to get stuck in the dead letter of it. You know, the letter killeth, the Spirit giveth life. If you just joined us, you're listening to Malcolm Geith. Yes, he obviously is a poet. He's taught at Cambridge. He was a chaplain at one of the colleges of Cambridge. And now he travels where I am with him at Regent College in Vancouver today. He teaches at Biola. Uh, he, he's at Duke. He's at a lot of places and all around. So we, we started off with John and the opening to the gospel. We've gone to Shakespeare now, let's dig into another place, perhaps, in Scripture. Uh, yeah. That's poetic. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so, so much. I always love, you know, it's interesting when you're reading the letters of Paul, which are, you know, full of great theology. Of course, But yes. always the great poetry in mind. And you get what the, what the scholars call the hymns, like the hymn of Christ's self-emptying in, you know, in, in, in you know, Colossians and Philippians. But Colossians. And, yes. I particularly love Colossians. So the hymn to Christ in Colossians, mm -hmm. which to me is is poetry and, and provokes poetry. So one of the things I love, it always amazes me that people, you know, I don't understand how people have a, such a small God that they think God can't cope with a new scientific discovery or can't cope with the size of the cosmos or like they've got this little God in a little box and then they're really scared of taking him out into the big bad world. That's so not Christian. So so this is Colossians, the hymn to Christ. This is just a couple of verses from, verses from Colossians, right? Okay. So yes. it's 1, 15 to 17, right? He is the image of the invisible God. So... Mm. bodies forth, the form mm -hmm. of things unknown. It's totally consonant with John. Here's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Here it is. For in him all things, in heaven and on earth, doth glance from heaven to earth, from right. earth to heaven. In him all things, in heaven and on earth, were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers of power, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things. And then my favorite line, in him all things hold, hold together. together. Right. Yes. Now, what you're trying to do when you write a poem in our own little way is you're trying to hold things together. You're trying to create cosmos out of chaos. You're trying to take the disorder of language and experience and form it into something. So one of the things I wanted to do for sure is to write a poem that was inspired by that verse. So I'll just run this past you. This is my own poem. It's called Everything Holds Together. Everything holds together. Everything from stars that pierce the dark like living sparks to secret seeds that open every spring from spanning galaxies to spinning quarks everything holds together and coheres unfolding from the center whence it came and now that hidden heart of things appears the firstborn of creation takes a name mm. and shall I see the one through whom I am 
Shall I behold the one for whom I'm made? The light in light, the flame within the flame, icon to Theo, image of my God. He comes, a little child, to bless my sight, that I might come to him for life and light. You just gave us the life of Christ right there in a poem, (laughs) in a short poem that you wrote. All right, okay. Let's, 14 let's, lines. Let's, That's a sonnet, I'll yeah. give you the number no, of lines. Sonnet, yes. The sonnet is a thing. I shall tell you a funny story. So I started to write these sonnets, particularly when after I became a pastor. And our church used to have like a reading, a poetry reading. Well, obviously, we preach from the gospel. We preach from the scripture. Sure, yes. But we had another reading that would be just like a reflection to help you get open it out. And I used to have to pick those so-called secular readings. And after a while, I figured, well, maybe I could write some. So I started so writing these your sonnets. Own. And I <laughs> yes. went up for the sonnet because it's only 14 lines and you can hear it in a minute and you can remember the end and the beginning together. So, so I started doing so this. So you say, but so, go ahead. So anyway, so I was doing this. And sometimes for the early morning, short communion service like you'd only have a short reflection anyway and so I would go like I'll just read the sonnet I've got a sonnet on this so I read the sonnet like I just read it to you and I remember I'd been at that church for about three years and I have to say I get a bit carried away my sermons can be slightly lengthier than than the average so I started doing just these sonnets and this church member comes up to me afterwards and he says a big smile on his face says Malcolm why didn't you tell us sooner that you could do it in just 14 lines Dig into something from that sonnet that you just shared with us. Light and, and life. life. Yeah. Now, that also goes back to John, to John yeah. 1. That I, he comes a little child to bless my sight, that I might come to him for life and light. So in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Greek is significant in there on well, light. on life. And life especially. So think yes. about life. You've got these two words for life in in the Greek of the New Testament. You've got you've got uh, bios, mm-hmm. which is your physical biological life. That's the one that's gradually winding up and then ticking down, right? Mm-hmm. But then you have Zoe. Zoe is your true spiritual life. In him was Zoe, and the Zoe was the phos, the light. Of men, and that's the word that John uses. The first, and, and that's the word John uses there. We get bios in other places. So, right. so again, when he says, "I've come that you may have life and life in all its fullness," Zoe, I am the life, the truth, and the way. Okay, now, so you've got, it's just exactly like you have two words for time in Greek. Mm-hmm. So you have chronos, mm-hmm. which is where we get chronometer and chronology and and all of that, and it's the regular ticking. This is going to happen. It's pretty fixed, and it's the but then you have Kairos. Kairos is the moment of crisis and opportunity. It's that big moment in your life, that one moment of your visitation from which all other your moments will flow that you know. And that's the most important. Like it's got more quality and depth than just every moment that happened to tick off, right? Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've often I've wanted, you did not know the time of your visitation, <laughs> your Kairos, mm. right? Mm. And... There's a big paradox in, 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 in the New Testament that Paul puts it, he says, though our outer nature 
is wearing away, mm -hmm. wasting away. Mm -hmm. Our inner nature is being renewed every day according to the image of God. You're like, outwardly and visibly, mm -hmm. I'm getting older. It's blindingly obvious. But actually, and the, the traditional image of that is, is, is the journey from the eastward rising of the sun, like the morning of your life. And then, mm -hmm. you know, you're a young, fine, strong young man. You're in the high noon of your life. And then you're declining gradually. I don't know what time in the afternoon it is for you and me in the, uh, in the long, dark tea time of the soul. But then eventually we're going to go to a retirement home called Sunset View and we're just westering and declining, right? That's mm. the direction of Kronos. Mm. And that's what happens to Bios life. But look at the way they chose to make the churches, right? And you it's coming come out of the in Church the of England. This, yeah, yes. Well, the, it came out of the, the earlier church. Well, the medieval church. Yeah, the medieval too. church. So you go into church by the west door. That's where you start. You, and the you baptismal enter by the you west enter door. by the west door. Okay. The baptismal font is at the west. The church, all churches face east. They faced east, of course, towards Jerusalem, where the drama of our salvation the and the death rises. But also they face the sunrise. Yes. And actually, we that's why, you know, we're not sunset chasers. We're in a C.S. Lewis. <laughs> we're dawn treaders, man. Like, my bias life, fine. I, I'll look head for sunset. That's view. another but day I with am, you if we get I into am, the dawn treader. I am moving... <laughs> towards the dawn now mm. is my salvation nearer than you know mm. i'm looking to the day when jesus says to me sleeper awake <sighs> let the light yes. shine on me right yes so my outer nature is wasting away but i'm moving so my bios life may be wasting away, but my zoe life because it is in Christ, and I'm going towards the sunrise of his resurrection and my resurrection in him. I'm getting younger every day from that point of view. Mm. I'm getting closer and more excited to the day of my so full fabulous. resurrection. So I've reversed the flow of time. So Zoe, I go I go eastward into my Zoe. And sure, my bios is, you know, declining into the West, but who sure. cares? You know, sure. that's temporary. I, yes. yes. My resurrection body begins, you know, um, on, you sound on like the a rising revivalist. Sun. Only well, you're a Cambridge poet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this yes. is incredible. All right. I want to grow my faith. I want to live and engage in this Zoe life as I look forward to my resurrection, to be with my Christ. Yeah. So lead us down another trail on how that can happen. Well, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, quite frankly, to do with looking onto Jesus and seeing the way Jesus um, upends. Like, it's not just he's reversing, he's upending the expectations, you know. Mm -hmm. If you think about, about the worldly attitudes of what's meant to be a blessing and what's meant to be a drag and what, you know, you're supposed to be aspiring for and what you're not, and then you look at the Beatitudes, and you look at the Sermon on the Mount. He says, oh, don't worry if you've got some grief right now. That's the prelude to something. Blessed are you who mourn. You know, you will be comforted. Mm. Blessed are you if you're hungry and thirst for righteousness. You'll be satisfied. You know, blessed are the, blessed are the poor. You know, those are the very things most people are trying to avoid, you know. Mm. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But he makes you see that the life that is in him and the life that is coming is, you know, is so much more. So let me see if I can um, just quickly find. I am... Um, I wrote, I wrote a book called Parable and Paradox. So it's me sort of sitting at the feet of Jesus and um, just trying to listen to the teaching and then respond to the teaching, you know, with a poem. So 
obviously, it's, and, it's and really, for this one, I want to tell everyone you're actually opening the book and reading for the book yeah, yeah. this time. So, all right. So yeah, yeah, it's but, funny. But I you, can you wrote I it. can remember everybody else's poems, but not my own. You know, that's partly because <laughs> I remember all the ways the poem could have gone and didn't. But uh, so I'm just taking the whole bit of Matthew five three to twelve. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs mm. is the kingdom. Blessed. But also going on to think about uh, earlier on where he said. You know, if you've got a lantern, don't don't put it under a bushel, set it on a house. And uh, it's always saying, rejoice, this will have. Blessed are ye. Rejoice, be exceeding glad. Your greater reward in heaven. You know, blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. So this is how, how I, my response. I bless you who have spelt your blessings out and set this lovely lantern on a hill. Hmm. lightening darkness and dispelling doubt by lifting for a little while the veil. For hmm. longing is the veil of satisfaction and grief the veil of future happiness. I glimpse beneath the veil of persecution, the coming kingdom's overflowing bliss. Oh, make me pure of heart and help me see amongst the shadows and amidst the morning the promised comforter alive and free, the kingdom coming and the sun returning, that even in this pre-dawn dark, mm. I might at once reveal and revel in your light. Wow. That's what the Beatitudes tell me. Come on, the, the sun is about to rise here, you know. And you can revel in the light almost before it's over the horizon because, you know. I'm going to read that to our tour the next Israel trip we yeah. have. On the, on on the, the Mount on of the, the Beatitudes. Of Beatitudes. Yeah. That's right. So, so that's a little bit about how you've got to live into and out of all those kingdom sayings of Jesus, strange and contradictory as they are. And then you get this thing, and this is the amazing thing, is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These things should be added on. It's not like you don't then enjoy the things of this world, mm. but you hold them lightly. Yes. Because every one of them is just the hors d'oeuvre. It's just the promise, you know. But the trouble is we end up cramming down so many of the hors d'oeuvres, we choke on them and we never get to the feast. You know, oh. kind of, you know. <laughs> Everybody, you need to know Malcolm Guite has a long white beard, long white hair, and he has been known to ride a Harley, yeah, including yeah. when you were in L.A. You yeah, rented yeah, a Harley. Yeah, I did, yeah. And, and, uh, uh, you just wanted to get that California yeah, flavor did, yeah, to yeah, your yeah. life. Get my knees in the breeze, as they say. Exactly. <laughs> would, would you lead all of us in prayer that our Zoe yeah. life would, okay. in Christ would blossom and yeah. grow as we look forward yeah. to joining him face to face? Okay, let's do that. Let's, let's pray then. So... Risen Lord Jesus, I thank you that you stand in our midst. You're right here where Charles and I meet, but you include all things in yourself and you are in the hearts of our listeners and in the room with our listeners. And scattered as we may be, we stand together because you stand in our midst and we long for the day, Lord, and ask you to show us a pre-dawn glimmering of the day when we really are visibly gathered in you. And when those little seeds, those little signs and promises that you've sown so freely in our lives bear fruit, and all of us who are sown in dishonor will be raised in power and raised in glory and share with you in that life and light that you've already brought into our world. Mm. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Welcome, Guy. 
Thank you for putting up with a non-academic today <laughs> and blessing me and all of our listeners on Haven today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Great Stories with Charles Morris. And I'm so thankful for the time I was able to spend with Malcolm Geit at Regent College in British Columbia. Now, for more episodes like this, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Charles Morris.